Last week, we talked about the hard truth about systems. This week, we're diving into a conversation about the 80-20 rule and specifically how to push those drivers. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple of pivots into for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Welcome back to the podcast. We are having a conversation today about the 80-20 rule, aka the Pareto Principle, and specifically uh, some interesting things that we've been thinking about recently about how they play, how that rule plays into organizations. So often when I hear about this rule, it's on a personal level. It's 80 per- or 80% of the results that you are getting personally are coming from 20% of the work that you are doing. And I think we all know this, and this is talked about so often. I see this all the time, but a lot of times it's applied to personal work. What are you focusing on? What are you doing? Who are you contacting? What are you spending your time really investing in? What projects are you doing? What tasks are you doing? And it really oftentimes is focused on me as an individual looking at what I as an individual am doing. Um, And we were actually having an interesting conversation earlier that kind of got us thinking about this on a larger scale when it comes to the organizations that we're leading. Um, So when we look at the 80-20 rule, I kind of already said it, but it basically says that 20% of what you are doing is creating 80% of the results. And so the goal is really to narrow down what that 20% is so that you can spend more time on those things so that you get more and more and more results, basically finding the highest and best use of our personal time. Um, but a lot of times, we don't necessarily take this into a broader scope. And so we try and identify our best tasks, but really organizationally, um, there's a question of what, how does the 80-20 rule apply when we're looking at not the impact that our organization is having, although you can do it there too, but what's happening with the people that we are trying to lead and get involved within our organizations. Yeah, and it's really important. So the, 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 the thought that we had uh, earlier today really just um, made me start thinking a lot about, man, how can we take this into the organizations that we're helping our clients that we are consulting with uh, and help them not just figure out what 20% is making the difference, but then how to leverage that 20% best. Because we see a, a lot of organizations that are fundraise like their 20% is based on their fundraising their 20% is based on their volunteerism their 20% is based on uh, their staffing choices all of these things come into play but really how can we leverage the 80/20 rule when it comes to comes to these things right because okay we know that 20% of the people are giving to the organization and that's where 80% of the giving is coming from. Mm-hmm. So how, do we just like keep asking those people to give more? Like how can we get that 20% to be larger 20%, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because whatever, if we move that to 30% of the people are now giving, it statistics tell us that the organization is going to grow to match that, to make that the new 20%. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, how can we then take that idea of the Pareto principle and shift the way that we focus our energies and what we are building in the organization to really capture that better? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think when we look at this, we take all the tasks that we're doing, and we try and identify the 80% and the 20%. And that's kind of where our thought with this tends to stop. And I know this is where our are like Ted, you and my, you and me, <laughs> as we've <laughs> talked about this. This is sometimes where our thought processes kind of stop. But as we took a step back and looked at some of the organizations that we're currently working with, we began to talk about what is going on in their organization as a whole. What is that 20% that is creating 80% of the results? And I love that you talked about the funding because with nonprofits, the fundraising is so incredibly important. Um, and yet, a lot of times we don't consider how the 80-20 rule comes into play. We know that 20% of people are doing 80% of the giving, um, and yet, instead of asking how can we increase that pool, that 20%, what are their qualities, what are their characteristics, why do they give to this organization, what experience are they having getting involved, who are they? Are they completely random people who aren't vested? Are they key volunteers? Are they high-level leaders within the organization? Are they a friend of a friend? and they're just being told by word of mouth, like how are they being contacted? How are they getting into the organization? How are they finding out about the organization? And what is the path that gets them to become the 20% of the givers that are creating 80% of the funding for the organization? And if we can really drill down and figure out all those other aspects about who this person is and how they became one of those core and key people within your organization, then we as leaders, can spend our 20% of our time figuring out how to make that better and grow those areas and get the focus on an organizational space and, and a big picture mindset going so that we are fully utilizing the 80-20 rule um, and not just stopping at our own personal workload, but looking at it as how can we do this as a whole. So we have some experience seeing this from some of our background when we were in nonprofit, while also working with nonprofits now. And one thing that we noticed when we were in nonprofit is our highest givers for nonprofits or for the nonprofit we were part of were the people who were volunteers. Mm -hmm. Right. And we saw this on a regular basis. And as Ted and I were talking about this over the course of this week, we began to kind of look at another nonprofit that we're working with and a couple other clients and started saying the same principle applies to this nonprofit. So how can we help them make that volunteer experience so incredibly great that people want to be a part of it? Because statistically, the funding follows. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we just forget to look at where the beginning of that really comes from. Yeah, I think uh, the questions that you were asking, you know, where do they come from? Are they a friend of a friend? Are they random people? Are they highly vested already? <laughs> These are the kind of questions we really need to ask because what we need to do is we need to build an avatar for that 20% person. Mm -hmm. We need to understand what makes them tick, what, what drives them, what motivates them, what gets them excited to be a part of our organization. Because if we can really understand that, then we can start to predict what we can do to bring more of those types of people 
into the organization, what we can do to really bring them value. Because even in a nonprofit organization where we all want to be altruistic and we all want to do something better for the world and we want to make uh, we want to make changes and not be selfish. We're still humans. We still make selfish decisions. The what's in it for me question is still so extremely important. And whether people don't want to, whether they want to admit it or not, the what's in it for me question is still at the forefront of our minds. So we have to think about, okay, if volunteerism is driving this 20%, we need to figure out how to make the volunteer experience so incredibly amazing that people are salivating at the thought of being able to volunteer with our organization. I was thinking about uh, Google, how, I don't know if it's still true now, but for a while it was heralded as one of the best places to work. And you know what? I bet that attracted a lot of really, really, really great employees and gave them a whole bunch of applications that they were able to turn away, um, which means that they had a lot of great applications they were able to accept. And I think... Uh, we need to really start get real and ask those questions and start to build an avatar for that driving factor. Build build a, a a little model of the person or a model of the all of the different factors that come into play. So that way you can say, okay, here's basically the formula of how our organization grows. It's a person who's like this who has you know ha- does have kids and they're married and they you know. They have a full time job and, you know, really get super specific about that. And they serve because they like this part and they don't like this and they do like this and they appreciate when we recognize them in front of other people or or whatever it might be. We have to ask all those really hard questions because that's going to give us real answers that we can take action on. Mm hmm. And we've talked about this a lot through our flywheel, where we've talked about the importance of talking about measurable impact and telling the stories um, in order to get followers and the right people. Um, But having this avatar, having this model of who exactly you're going after, um, not just in terms of we just want to be able to get them, but in terms of these are the people who we see um, find our organization to be highly valuable, um, doing work that they already care about. So we're not having to teach them why what we do matters, but they come in already passionate about this. They want to be a part of it. They're highly vested. If they're volunteers, they're probably a longer term person with your organization versus someone who pops in for an event and then you never see or hear from them again. Um, when we're looking at then the flywheel and we're talking about that the measurable impact that you're sharing in those stories, having a clear idea of who this person is and who this model is helps you to be able to make a decision on what measurable impact to be sharing and what stories to be sharing. Um, I think sometimes as organizational leaders, we look at who you know, if our organization has 100 people involved in some capacity, we look at them and just say, well, the majority of them are this and the majority of them are um, this gender in this age group with or without kids, married or not. And we kind of go by who the overall people are, where if we really like took a deep dive and said, yeah, there are 100 people, but who are the people who are the most committed, the most involved, the most consistent, the the biggest givers of time, money, resources, connections, whatever it is. And we brought it down to those top 10, 15, 20 people and built the avatar around that group. You might end up with a completely different demographic than what you do if you just take um, everyone who's kind of interested, involved or 
yeah, kind of interested into the equation. I think this is a really important conversation, especially for nonprofits, because we all have impacts that we're trying to make. And a lot of times we're trying to help specific people. I know like churches are trying to accomplish a very specific thing in a very specific location and they want to help very specific types of people. Um, that group that you're targeting as your kind of end goal <clears throat> is has a lot more to do with your measurable impact. And that's very important to have a target of what you're aiming at trying to accomplish. But don't get that confused with the target of who, what are the drivers? Mm-hmm. What are the drivers of this organization? Because you might find that they are two very, very, very different uh, people. So here, here's a good example that is not uh, church related. I, I'm thinking about our YouTube channel. I play video games on YouTube and people watch. And I think about who are the people who are the uh, like make up most of the views is a specific age group i'd say probably like 10 to 15 year olds but there is a a smaller group that are definitely the drivers of the community and actually moving things forward and those are parents of those 15 year old 10 to 15 year olds and we've realized that our community is built up uh, of a lot of these uh families right and so i have to think through what what can I do, obviously, to still make videos that appeal to the age group 10 to 15, but how can I improve the experience exponentially for the drivers? Mm-hmm. Because for our channel specifically, the parents are kind of deciding what content their kids are consuming. And so it's important to me to make sure that I'm on the parents' good side. <laughs> um, but also, that's where a lot of like the thumbs up from the parents is allowing the kids to just watch tons and tons of video content. Mm-hmm. So from my perspective, the people we're trying to reach are the 10 to 15 year olds, but the people that are the drivers are the 30 to 45 year olds. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking to myself, how do I increase and make that experience so incredibly amazing for the 30 to 45 year old parents of these gamer kids? How do I make that experience just amazing? Because if I can attract more of them, I have now increased the strength of my organization to be able to uh, drive the thing forward. And we got to be thinking about that when it comes to volunteerism. We got to be thinking about that in terms of givers. And I think the, the best question to ask is why? If you think of like the top, you know, four or five people in any of these categories that you're thinking of fundraising or or uh, connections or basically in the resource engine, um, volunteers in time. Um, if you think of like the four or five top people, then you start to ask the question, why are they doing this? Why are they spending their, their so much time volunteering? Why are they giving so much of the money? You might be really surprised when you ask that question to realize they're not just giving so much of the money because they have a ton. You might find that a lot of your top givers are actually not upper middle class or even like high class. <laughs> what is that called? I don't know. A top class or top tier earners. But um, when you ask the question why, you're going to start to figure out, okay, now that I know why they do this, I can push that driver more. Mm-hmm. I can, I can, you know, basically preach this over and over and over again. And that is going to reinforce 
those drivers that they made the right decision mm-hmm. that they're like oh that is the reason why i do this and yes i'm glad i came in here this morning even though it was an early volunteerism time or or whatever um and when you reinforce that that's great for the people that you already have but it's also attractive for people on the wings people who are like your top five volunteers or givers or whatever they know other people that are like them mm-hmm. they that Chances are they associate with people who are like them, whether that's in person, in real life, or online. They associate and they group together. People group together into like groups. And so when we can super highly invest in those drivers, it's going to leak over and just naturally grow your driver base, which is then is going to increase the amount you're able to make an impact. Yeah, and that's really huge because a lot of times when we start to get people within the organization that are doing the work alongside of us and the people that we're helping, it can be hard to remember to differentiate the two. And so a lot of times as nonprofit leaders, um, it's easy for you to look at the people that you're trying to help and be really, really, really focused on their why. This is why they need shelter. This is why they need food. This is why they need fresh water. This is why they need a church home. This is why the people that we're trying to reach need this. And it's easy to focus when we're, to focus on their why when we're talking to the volunteers and the people who are connected to us and um, the people who are helping with the fundraising within our organization. But we have to remember that there are two different whys involved. There is yep. a why people need to be helped, and there is a why people choose to engage in the helping process. And if we only ever keep saying, they need it, they need it, they need it, these this group of people that we're trying to help, they need it, um, eventually the people who are volunteering they tend to forget their own personal why. It's really strange, but if I have a reason for saying, I'm going to start going to the gym today, I might forget my why in a couple months. And if I'm not reminded of it, or if I'm not constantly reminding myself, I might one day be like, I don't want to go to the gym anymore. I don't, I don't even remember why I started. And we hear that a lot. I don't remember why I started. I started. And then they get in the habit of it because the why drove them in, they got in the habit, and then one day they're like, you know, I don't I don't know if I want to spend my time doing this. And so we need to be aware of what their why is too, so that we can be reminding them while we're reminding them of the impact that they're making, because they cared about it enough to start, they do care about it enough to continue, but it's human nature to get sidetracked by other things or to after a while just kind of take for granted what it is that you're doing. Um, I know I volunteer places and after a while I kind of took it for granted that it was there. I kind of forgot why I personally started. I got used to the stories I was hearing about the people I was helping. I'd hear about a different organization who was doing something else. and I'd be like, oh, that one sounds interesting. And if I would have had someone come in and say like, no, this is why you got started. This is why the volunteerism side of this matters. Um, that would have been a very different story for me with that organization. But it's simply because we're human. Yeah, we have to remember that there's no such thing as pure altruism. Mm-hmm. Like we want to be able to say that we're doing this for this other person's why. But ultimately, it comes back to, you know, I'm giving to an organization because of my own why. Mm-hmm. I want to feel good about where my money's going. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend it on chocolate and candy bars yeah. All the time. <laughs> I want to I want to feel good about where my money is going. I want to know that I'm making a difference. I want to know that somebody is thankful. I want to know that, um, 
you know, I, I have something to look forward to when I'm, you know, when I'm dead and gone and, and I'm in the afterlife at some point, I want to be able to look back and not have regrets. Like we have to remember that those are still selfish, self-interested reasons and not in a bad way. I mean, they're still, they're ending in some pretty good stuff and great things being accomplished in the world. But we got to remember that people are not purely altruistic and it is okay to remind them of their own reasons to mm-hmm. show up because a volunteer, I can guarantee you right now, a volunteer showing up to help with uh, a 5k is not doing it because they like getting up early in the morning and getting a bunch of stuff ready for no reason. Mm-hmm. They have another reason. Um, another part of the volunteer experience that we need to take into consideration is what the volunteer experience actually is. Or if someone mm. is one of your top donors, what the donor experience is like. Not um, the perceived, not what you think it is, what it actually is. What it actually is and what they actually might be looking for with it. Um, I, before we give to places or even when we're working with people um, as consultants, I'll check out their website. I'll look through their giving process. Um, There was one organization I gave to just a few bucks. And on the back end, um, it wasn't even a thank you note. It was just said that was successful. And I was like... (laughs) There's what? no, there's no thank you. Like, thank you so much. You're making a difference or, or something like, <laughs> like it was just one of those that would have been the perfect opportunity for them to give a little bit of a thumbs up as a congratulations. You did, in fact, make a good decision. <laughs> um, but what the actual donor experience is, what the actual volunteer experience is, like if you have people coming in who want to volunteer, are they coming into an atmosphere that feels super heavy and they're already coming out of a really busy work week and now they're coming in feeling the grind of the organization or do you have an organization where people are coming in feeling oh man yeah we do get to make a difference this is this is great I'm glad that I'm here um what is that experience like when people come into the door or if a volunteer phones in to see if you need extra volunteer hours that week are they greeted with a smile or are they greeted with someone who just is tired of answering the phone that day what is the volunteer experience from the time that they even raise their hand saying i'm kind of considering it to the time that they've been volunteering consistently for a year or two Mm. years or three years what is that volunteer experience on a true level and what are you doing to increase the value that you are bringing that person and sometimes that value is just bringing them joy bringing Mm. them a little bit of laughter bringing them community bringing them the reminder that they're making a difference Um, but what is that and are you paying attention to it sometimes we're so focused on getting the systems in place and making it as Um, efficient as possible that we focus on efficiency rather than focusing on humanity. And we end up treating people as if they're not unique individuals. And pretty soon the unique individuals say, well, if anyone can do it, apparently you can get anyone else. I'm going to go somewhere else. And we don't want that to happen because they cared. We care when we care about them because we care about people. Um, and so really looking at who that is, who are those volunteers who are really, really doing the work with you? Who are the people who are really fundraising alongside of you? Who are the people highly investing with you? So I have a question. Maybe this can be sort of the rest of our discussion is how do you figure out what that why is? You know, sometimes, especially because we talked about it's not necessarily going to be altruistic. It's going to be maybe a little self-interested. And when someone's giving to an organization, if you ask why, they're probably going to say, oh, well, the people need it. 
but it's like mm, I gotta really actually get to the real answer here I want to know and Lisa with your anthropological background and you know how to do uh, anthropological methodology and <laughs> oh that class <laughs> how would you frame <sighs> these questions to actually get real answers from people because they're they're probably going to lie to you <laughs> like oh. they're not going to say well I volunteer because um, I'm getting a lot out of this and I actually don't really care about the end product <laughs> or whatever, right? But um, there is a large portion of their motivation that is going to be self-interested. Mm-hmm. Well, just, it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of true. I've heard it in sales. Buyers are liars. Um, it's just Ooh, like... That's good. It's it's true. I mean, people who say they want to buy, like, they'll kind of tell you what they maybe could you know what they what they think you want to hear or what they could what they think they could say that'll get you to leave them alone um but they'll really be honest and that is kind of true of just humans in general especially if you haven't built up the trust in that relationship with them um and so to go into a situation where let's say i'm talking to um a donor and i have no problem asking donors blunt questions um but if i'm going into a conversation with a donor and they don't know who i am um, if I just go up and say, why why did you give today? Um, they'll probably give me a really nice reason for it. <laughs> but I have to know that that first reason isn't their true reason. It might be a true reason, but it's not the true reason. Because there's a reason that's like in the core of who we are. And then there are the reasons that we give to other people that are still honest but they're not necessarily transparent. Right, so, they're not showing all their cards. Right. So they are authentic and true, but they're not necessarily the core truth that's really driving them forward. Um, so when it comes to talking to donors, I always start with gratitude. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Actually bringing them that honor for the fact that they chose to contribute and doing it in a way that's sincere. Um, just giving a little, hey, thanks for doing that. Here's a question I have. People can see right through that. And not only will they know that you just aren't really grateful, but they might not give to your organization again in the future. So if you are approaching a donor wanting to understand more, you need to make sure that you're in a place where you are thanking them genuinely, you completely mean it, and you let them know that you are um, someone that they can talk to and be honest with. Like, hmm. just thank you so much. And then instead of starting a question with why did you choose to give here, I would probably start off with a question that's more, why did you choose our organization? Or I would say something more like, there are so many great organizations around. What made you choose ours? I'm so grateful that you did. Why this one? Um, and allow them to answer in a way that isn't saying this is my true reason, but allowing them to say, well, I really noticed that the impact here it just seemed a little bit more clear than other organizations um, because that'll give you a clue into their real true reason. Um, and people feel more comfortable comparing. And I'm not saying go, right. go into it in a way where you're asking them to be disrespectful toward organizations. We don't want to do that. Um, but if they are open to comparing, that comparison is probably the most honest thing that they'll say that's true about who they are. So if they say, I notice that this one is a little bit more straightforward with where the money's going or with the impact that it's making, that lets you know there's something in them that wants a little bit of control 
They want to know where their money is going. So they, they want to seem altruistic. And I gave to an organization, but they want control over their resources. And that might be the real real. And that reason. might be part of that real reason in which, yeah, they want to give, but they want to say in where it's going. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We want people who make wise decisions and actually do the research. Um, but that'll give you, okay, so this person likes to have control over the money. Um, they want to know that they're making a bigger impact versus a different organization. This one is a perceived bigger impact, which means they get a perceived bigger pat on the back. Um, and so asking why this organization sandwiched with gratitude. Thank you so much. We so appreciate it. Is it okay if I ask? There's so many great organizations. Why this one? What what made you choose to give here today? Um, and just, I'm just so grateful that you did. I'm just curious, but I'm just either way, even if you don't want to answer that, thank you so much. Um, that's probably going to be where you're going to get one of your most honest answers. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> give them permission to not answer if they don't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. is going to give you more of an honest answer than a lie. Yeah. And then volunteerism <laughs> is through the building of relationships. If you sit next to someone long enough or interact with someone long enough, they're going to build that trust with you to be able to tell you the real reason. Um, and good. part of that is when you have your onboarding process with a new volunteer, which Hint, have an onboarding process. Um, When you have an onboarding process, ask them why and let them give you whatever answer they want to give you. And over the future conversations, bring up that bring up that reason why and allow them to expand on it. Uh, When you came in, you mentioned that you wanted to volunteer here because your dad used to care about this cause. And you thought that it would be kind of cool to do this, you know, in memory of your dad. Like what part, what kind of stuff did your dad do? Like, what specifically about the cause? What what about this organization makes you think about your dad? And as you ask furthering questions about their initial why, they will very quickly begin to tell you which parts of the why are really, really ring true to them and which parts are the filler words that sound nice and they don't want to just sound like they didn't have right. an answer. Um, they'll sort it out for you, but that means that you have to be in relationship with people, caring about people, paying attention to their answers, and then remembering their answers enough, or at least writing them down somewhere so that you can pull them up later, but remembering their answers enough to engage in a conversation and remind them of what they originally said. Because, I mean, fact fact is, first time meeting you, if you ask someone why, if they really give you the honest, the goodness reason why, um, they are... If anything, that's going to be a little bit of a red flag that they're willing <laughs> they're to be unstable. <laughs> that honest um, with a first encounter. So no, but yeah. I mean, remember we were talking also about you know picking your top five, to picking mm-hmm. your top three. Like, who are the people who show up all the time to volunteer, and they're just they're so awesome. If you have those people and you know who those are already in your organization, and you want to understand them better, buy them food, like ask them, say, you are a phenomenal volunteer around here. I'm so grateful. Could we go grab dinner? Could I, I'd love to take you out and then ask them questions and just listen to what they have to say. Um, if you really, really want to know, go to the people who already trust you and trust your organization and treat them to food, buy them something That's and good. just sit down and take the time with them. Yeah. A gift makes way for the giver. And the fastest way to a person's heart is through their stomach. So just put those two together. Put those you two win. together and you're already, <laughs> you're already doing good. This has been awesome. So uh, we're going to challenge you guys who are listening. If you got a pen and paper, 
grab that real quick and write some of these things down because we're going to give you a couple challenges to do and we really want to hear from you. Uh, so feel free to send this uh, list over to us or send your thoughts over to us um, at office at LegacyBuildersintl.com. But here are the challenges that we're going to do. First of all, make a list. <clears throat> First of all, determine what is the driving factor in your organization. It might be volunteerism. It might be uh, fund uh, funding. It might be uh, the uh, impact that you're able to have. Like, find out what the thing is that's really making everything else move. It might also be one specific event. Um, if you have multiple things you do throughout the week, it might be one of them does the majority in terms of impact and getting people involved. Right. So then once you have that, that's you got your 20% thing, right? So now you want to find your top five people that are involved with that thing. That might be your top five givers. It might be your top five volunteers. It might be your top five event organizers or, or whatever it is. Identify those top five. And then the homework is dig in and find out what their why is, because that is going to give you such clarity on what to now push on. You have dug down into if I if I just talk about this, why I'm not not only am I going to reinforce these really strong people that are helping move this organization forward, but I'm going to attract other people like, oh, my gosh, I have that. Why I could do that here. Mm-hmm. I could accomplish that here. Your organization's going to grow. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com. 